The scripture reading this morning is the very familiar Psalm 23. I invite you to listen with new ears to these very familiar words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Well, your, your eyes are not deceiving you. I had Liesl read that in the New King James Version this morning because that's the way I remember it. Does anybody else here remember that? Right, I know many of you know that psalm, and we just know it in that version. So I stepped away from the CEB this morning. We read from the NKGB, and I'm actually going to be using that as we preach through it this morning. I'd also say uh, this week we don't have a key verse. Every week we've had a key verse for the series. And so today I would say to you, there is a key verse. It's all six verses. So if, if you have never memorized Psalm 23, I would encourage you to do that. It's something we did with our kids growing up. We all have it memorized. I'm not going to put Lauren on the spot here this morning. She's like, I know it. I got it, Dad. Um, but we could do that. So this is just one of those great psalms. And I almost skipped over it for the series. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna, I, gotta, I can't avoid Psalm 23. So we'll get into some other psalms. But today's psalm is a psalm of trust. Uh, psalm 23. You know, one of the things that um, I found has been become very uh, popular today in today's uh, world, uh, especially among professionals, is executive coaching. Anybody ever had an executive coach or, or done any of that? So you've done some of that. I actually was trained as a life coach, executive coach, and then I also coached church planters over the years. And one of the things, that one of the assumptions in coaching is this that the client or the person that you're coaching knows best what they need to do. So you, you hear me? That, that's the assumption. That this person somehow knows already intuitively what is best for their life or what, what they need to do because one, the truth is they know their context better than anybody. I can't come in their context. They know their context. So that's very important. And so we, you're trusting their intuition and their context and Part of coaching is just helping them to discover what they've got, they need to do in that moment, in that situation. And so this has been called self-leadership. Have you ever heard of self-leadership? That today we're into self-leadership, and you can see it all around us, that we, we lead ourselves. And this is very popular, and it works very well because we're a highly individualistic society. We, we like individualism. We like to be our own person. So self-leadership really rings true to us. And it also fits in because we're taught basically to be our own person, right? To, to be yourself, to, to be who you are, and to lead yourself. In fact, one definition of self-leadership is this. Self-leadership is your ability to masterfully lead yourself so you can, cre so you can create the success, success 
you want for yourself, your family, your business, your life, emphasis mine. You hear that? You, 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 you. It's all about you. And self-leadership sounds really good, doesn't it? Because it's going to benefit me. And, I, and there's a part of that assumption that sounds right, and there is a part of it that is right. But I would say in my coach, as, so as I stand on the other side of people, as I coach other people, and I help them to self-lead, so to speak, I find that there are times when I'm in conversation with them that they don't know where to go. That self-leadership can only take them so far. That there are things they don't know, there are things they're not aware of, and sometimes I can watch people walk right into walls with their self-leadership. <laughs> and I kind of want to go, wait, stop. Especially in church planting, I, uh, because we planted a church and I'm coaching church planters who've never planted a church before, I'll start to see them going off in directions and I'm like, I have to like call time out and I say, wait, I'm not, I'm not your coach anymore. <laughs> I'm going to consult. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach. Because what you're going to do is not going to work. I already tried that. I know that. And they're like, oh, no, it's going to work. I got it all under control. And I've had church planners tell me that they've got it figured out. And I'm like, all right, well, you're the boss. You're in charge of this situation. And, and they come back six months later, you know, we should have done it this way like you told us, right? And I was like, yeah, because that's experience. That's wisdom. That's coming through. It's not that I am an expert or they're not expert. It's really about experience and wisdom. And there are times in our self-leadership where we're also not self-aware. We're not aware. And that's why we need leadership. Not just from ourselves, but from someone outside of ourselves. We need a leader who can speak into our lives that's not just us. So interesting that I think that self-leadership can sometimes be a recipe not just for success, but also for failure. And so we have to be aware of that. So in contrast, we have to remember that this psalm makes a very profound faith statement at the very beginning of the psalm. Who is writing the psalm? Do you all know, if you look at your scripture, if you look at your Bible, they may say right there in your Bible, who is this attributed to? David. What do we know about David? He's a shepherd. What else? He's the king. He's the leader, right? He's in charge, right? What else do we know about David? He was a man after God's own heart, right? What about some other stuff we know about David that he didn't do well? Uh, Bathsheba, right? He had an affair with one of his, his fight, mighty war, one of his mighty warriors sent off to war. David stays home has an affair with his, one of his mighty warriors, uh, Uriah, the Hittite uh, wife, has an affair with her, has Uriah killed, and then brings uh, her into his household, right? So we don't know when this psalm was written. We don't know if it was before he was king or before this incident with Bathsheba or after. We don't know the, the exact timeline of this. But notice the very first statement that David says the king, the leader, the one who had the most self-leadership going for himself says this. What does he say? Statement of faith here, folks. The Lord is my shepherd. What he's saying is that the Lord is the leader of my life. I am going to do my best to listen to the Lord because what does a shepherd do but lead sheep? 
And the sheep have to listen for the shepherd's voice. Jesus talked about this in the New Testament. So to make this statement, this is a statement of faith. This is a statement of belief. This is a statement of commitment. He's saying, the Lord's my shepherd, not me. I'm not my own shepherd, which is very popular today. Or not the pastor is my shepherd, or the priest in the temple is my shepherd, or this great Bible study leader over here is my shepherd, saying the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the one I seek guidance from. The Lord is the one that I listen for his voice her, and to what God wants to say to me in my life. And so he's basically, it's a, it's a trusting, it's a statement of faith and trust in the Lord's leadership of our lives to say the Lord is my shepherd. My question to you this morning is this, is the Lord your shepherd? Is the Lord the leader of your life? Is the Lord the one that is guiding you through life? Because you may find that doing it on your own is not working very well. And if you haven't figured that out yet, give it some time. See some young people in the, in the, in the house this morning, just give it some more time. So that's the thing. The next phrase that is in the psalm is this, I shall not want. I think it's interesting. I, I'm curious actually to know, when did David write this psalm? <laughs> I shall not want. Because when he had his affair, what was going on? He had want. He had desires that went beyond what, God, what, what was God's will for his life. And so he, when we trust to le lean into the Lord's leading, we're saying, I'm going to trust God. <laughs> I'm going to trust the Lord, good shepherd to take care of my needs. I'm not going to want anymore. <laughs> Which makes me curious, when did David write this, right? Did he learn this after his affair? Or did, was this before and he just forgot what he was doing, what he said in the Psalm 23, right? I'm not going to want anymore. Because why? Why do we need to not want? Why can we be, how can we be content? It's because we know and we trust and we have faith in the good shepherd to lead us, to provide for us, to take care of our needs. That's what a good shepherd does. And if we serve a good shepherd and we follow a good shepherd, then we need not want. Those wants, those desires are no longer what will bring us contentment. It's our trust in the Lord that will make us content. So the psalmist David goes on, and he reveals the ways that he trusts God and the ways that God cares, protects, provides for him along the journey as a sheep. Because in the Old Testament and actually New Testament, a shepherd would have to lead the sheep into different areas. And you have to get in our minds as we go through this is that we think from the psalm that they're just, you know, when we look around us or we travel around the United States and, and we say, oh, there's green, there's green grass everywhere. But in the Middle East, in an arid region where there was also desert and dry land, there would be patches of green. And so the shepherd had to lead the sheep from one section or pasture to another one. And sometimes that journey was arduous. Sometimes that journey was hard. And then even when they got to the pasture, the pasture was not just this big green field like you and I see, you know, when we travel outside the city. It was more, there's like a little patch of grass here and a, another little patch of grass here and some rocks here and some more patches of grass. It's not a big green field. It's just patches of green, and that would be the pasture for the sheep. And that's how sheep actually get lost, by the way, because they go from one patch to the next patch and they lose sight of the shepherd. And they don't even know they got lost in the process. 
But anyway, you have to understand that this, this psalmist is writing in that context, right? In this type of imagery, not what you and I see, but where there is green pasture is a little bit less prevalent than what we see around us. So he says this, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, right? Something very abnormal, but very abundant. Something, a place of abundance. And he leads me beside the still waters. Still waters. Very important. Because sheep spook easily. Sheep are fearful animals. Which also reminds us why the Bible mentions, what, 365 times, what, do not be afraid, right? We also tend to have fear in our own lives and let that fear drive us. But you have to keep in mind that, that sheep were very fragile animals when it came to being scared. Uh, there's actually a documented report in Turkey in 2005 where 1,500 sheep were grazing up on a cliffside, on a hillside. There was grass on top and there was a cliff over the hill, and they were, this was in Turkey, and the shepherds went, all gathered together to have breakfast around a morning campfire, and they left the sheep on the hillside. Something spooked one of the lead sheep in, on the hillside, and that sheep took off and went over the cliff. How many sheep do you think followed that sheep when the first one got spooked? All of them, right? All 1,500 of them went over the cliff. What was going on here? One, they're fearful. Two, no shepherd around. Notice what happens? <laughs> That's self-leadership, right? That's what your mother always told you. If everybody told you to go jump off a bridge, would you do it? Right, right? Now, the amazing thing about this story, and the reason I remember this story, is because only 450 of the 1,500 sheep died. You see, it was the first 450 sheep that went over that died. The other 1,050 sheep lived and ran away from the scene because the first 450 cushioned the blow of the fall. This is true. This is, you can look it up online. Go Google it, Whatever. They fell, and they, the 450 that died saved the life of the rest of the herd because there was so much wool piled up on the bottom of that cliff. It's amazing. That's why I remember that story. It has nothing to do with Psalm 23, but anyway. <laughs> but that's amazing to me is that it, what it shows us is that the sheep and what God, the shepherd is providing is green pasture, still waters, so that there's contentment, there's provision, there's peace, right? There's abundance. That's what this good shepherd leads to. But it doesn't mean that, and we'll see this as the psalm goes on, it doesn't mean that we don't have to go through some rough terrain to get there, right? And so, but that's the trust in the shepherd, that the shepherd's going to lead to that place. So basically what, a, what we're doing in our faith is we're trusting God to lead us to provision. Not to our wants, but to our needs and to contentment and to what we need and to peace that God can provide for us. Then the psalmist goes on and says, this is why we like part of the King James, he restores my soul. See, have you ever noticed how your, your soul really doesn't get restored when you're stressed out and anxious and fearful? Have you noticed that? H have you noticed that those times of stress and anxiety are not times of restoration? Uh, anybody, can I get a witness here this morning, anybody? 
When do you get restored? When you're in the green pasture, <laughs> when you're by the still waters, when, when, when things are, when you're experiencing contentment, when you're able to rest, when you're able to take a break, when you're able to get away from the stress and anxiety. That's why, why we love vacation, right? And that's part of what's happening is that God restores our souls. And then it goes on and says, and leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So this restoration happens in times of rest and contentment, but also there's this idea that we have to trust the shepherd to lead us in the right path or the path of righteousness. Because one of the things that the shepherd knows to get from one spot to the other, from one green pasture to the next, will require the sheep to listen to the shepherd so that they don't fall off cliffs, so they don't fall into difficult terrain. There were established paths along the way that the sheep would be led in by the shepherd. And sometimes for the shepherd to find new pasture for the sheep, that shepherd would have to break new trail, would have to go new places. And the sheep would have to listen clearly to the shepherd. Because otherwise, they would get lost, they would go off trail, they would do whatever. So there's this idea of trusting in the righteous path, in the path of righteousness that the shepherd will lead us in. But I find that too often we give up on that path. Because what happens is self-leadership gets in the way. And we get impatient, right? So God's maybe leading us on a righteous path or a good path for us, and then we get impatient. It's taking too long to get to the green pasture, Lord. And then we give up on that righteous path and we go our own way. That's self-leadership. Let me give you an example. Uh, when I was a in younger days doing youth ministry, I decided to go take a backpacking trip with some teenagers. And so I and some other youth leaders took this group of teenagers backpacking I sat down ahead of the trip with my dad, and we were hiking in a section of the Appalachian Mountains, and uh, so I, t I was taking basically novice backpackers into an area I had never been before as the shepherd, wasn't a pastor at the time, and, but I sat down with my dad who'd been on the trip, uh, you know, he, he told me many times. And we went over the map, and he showed me where the, the places were to set up camp and the trail and everything. And I said, okay, great. I got it figured out. I'm, I got it under control. So we left on a Friday afternoon, uh, and we got there. We thought we'd get on the trail. We'd hike a couple miles into the first campsite Friday night, and uh, we'd set up camp there. And so we set out, and, I, and I, you have to keep in mind, these, these folks with me, had never, some of them had never been backpacking before. So on our journey, it takes a little bit longer than Matt thinks, right? I mean, people are dropping their sleeping bags in the streams, and they're getting wet, and we have to stop to reconfigure backpacks and stuff. So this is going on for a couple miles, and then the, the sun's starting to go down, and some of the other leaders around me, the other youth leaders with me, are like, uh, Matt, do you know where you're going? I'm like, I'm telling you, it's up here. You know, my dad told me it's up here. And Finally, they just started saying, well, we got to stop. We got it's going to get dark. We're not going to set up camp. We're, people are hungry. You know, I felt like Moses in the desert. You know, the people are grumbling. Where's the manna? You know? And I'm like going, okay, whatever. What are we going to do? So then I got a lot of pressure. You know, I'm a young guy, young, young guy, you know, probably in college at the time. And some of the older leaders were like, Matt, you need to, we need to settle, we need to camp. So I caved in. Even though I knew that we needed to keep going. But what did I do? I trusted in self-leadership. 
even though my dad had told me where to go. But I said, I'm going to ignore what my dad told me, and I'm going to do some self-leadership here. And so we caved in, I caved in as a leader. And we set up camp and right off the trail, and it, because we found a level place, we set up tents and everything, we got some neat, everybody went to sleep. We woke up the early the next morning to a park ranger in our camp, campsite. Park ranger comes in, he whips out his ticket book. He says, you're not 30 yards off the trail. And I'm looking around, and I'm going, there's just hills, you know, everywhere. Like, there's no place to put up a tent 30 yards off the trail. He's like, well, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the rule. So they, we got a ticket for camping within 30 yards of a trail. And what was he doing up at 6 in the morning hiking that trail? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, so we got a ticket, and then sure enough, we got on the way, we got on our way, and we started traveling up the trail. And sure enough, about two-tenths up the trail, guess what there was? It was a campsite a designated campsite by the park service, just like Dad had said. See, that's self-leadership versus the Lord is my shepherd, right? We, you and I, tend to give up on that path of righteousness way too early. And self-leadership will lead us to do that. But what we're doing when we say, Lord, you're my shepherd, what we're saying is that we're trusting God to lead us in those right paths no matter how long they take, no matter how long it's going to take to get to that green pasture, I'm going to trust in the good shepherd and not in myself to get there. Psalmist goes on. Next verses. Some of the part of remember. Now I'm going to read this the way I taught my kids to remember this verse. You ready for this? This is the next one. Yay. You got to say it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's what we taught our kids. Emphasis on no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So again, we're seeing this imagery of the shepherd leading the sheep through difficult terrain, right? And there are two instruments that the shepherd had at the shepherd's disposal. One was a rod, one was a staff. One was used for protection, not to hurt the sheep, but to protect the sheep, the rod. And that rod was used to protect the sheep from wild animals, to fend off and defend from wild animals who would come and try and attack the sheep when they were in that difficult terrain. And the other thing was the staff. Now the staff was used to guide the sheep, to nudge the sheep, to direct the sheep. Not to hurt, but to just kind of poke them every once in a while. Do you ever get that? Does God ever do that to you? Give you a little nudge, a little poke. Hey, you're getting off track here. Get back on the trail. Get back on the path. Keep trusting me. So we need to listen to those, those prompts, those nudges from the, what I would say is the Holy Spirit. And so we got to trust when, when God's staff comes alongside of us and nudges us. Sometimes there was, we know there was a crook in the shepherd's staff that would actually get around the head of the sheep because why if you could redirect the head that's where the sheep will go right i think about that at times when in our lives too you know sometimes god got needs to get us to look in a different direction because we're so focused on the direction we're going that we can't see the way we need to go because we think we've got it under control again self-leadership we think we're going the right direction and so along comes a little bit of a crook to get us to look in the right direction. 
to get us to move in the right direction because we're getting off track. That's how the Holy Spirit works in us, to nudge us, to redirect us, to get us back on that, path, that good path, that path of righteousness that God has for us and that the good shepherd knows is best for us. So basically what we're also doing is we're trusting that God will lead us through dark places in our lives. I would say that it's in the dark places, the tough times, the difficult circumstances of life, that it's more tempting for self-leadership to kick in. Because that's when we're the most impatient. That's when we're the most scared. That's when we're the most fearful, right? It's in those dark times. It's in those difficult times. And that's actually the time we need to be trusting God the most. It's easy to trust God on the, in the green pasture, isn't it? Have you noticed that when things are good? It's a little bit harder when you're in a difficult place. But that's exactly the time, and I would say to the self-leadership is, not proud, is most likely not going to work at that moment. See, when you're in a big green open field, self-leadership, there's room for self-leadership. But when you're on a difficult road, when you're on a difficult path, self-leadership may just be the end. Give you an example. Anybody here ever get lost in the woods? Anybody? Nobody, anybody want to admit that they got lost in the woods, right? All right, good. Thank you. Thank you for confession. If you get lost in the woods, there's an old saying that when you're lost, people, lost people tend to go in circles, right? That when you get lost and can't find your way, you tend to go in circles. Because what are you trying to do? You, you're trying to lead yourself out of the lost place, right? The dark place. They did, they've done studies on this, and here's what, this is a GPS map of people who've gotten lost. What, other than the, you see the one yellow line, other than the yellow line, look at the blue lines. What, did, what are people doing? They track them as they're lost in the woods. That's what they do. Notice what they do? They go in circles. They can't find their way out. They can't do it on their own. You'll notice that on the yellow line, the one that actually goes a little bit of a curve and then straightens out, the sun came out for that person. And that person was able to keep the sun on their one side of their travels and they were able to walk out because they had what? Outside guidance. The other people who are walking in circles, they were, that happened on a cloudy day. No sun, no markers, no, no outside influence or guidance. So that's an example of self-leadership versus outside influence and outside guidance upon someone's path. See how that works? So notice that when we're in the darkest places, when we're lost, we cannot get out. Notice that. Notice how we just keep spinning in circles. And if we don't look up to the shepherd, if we don't trust that staff coming around our necks to get us to look in a different direction, we'll just keep going in circles. And we wonder why we stay in the darkness. We wonder why we stay lost. We wonder why we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's because we're not looking to someone else's leadership, to the shepherd, to the son's guidance in our lives. That's part of that. So we're trusting that God is going to lead us through dark places rather than trusting ourselves in those dark places. The psalm actually wraps up with a different metaphor. We know this as the shepherd's psalm, but the first four verses are about the shepherd. The last two verses see God not as shepherd, but as a table host, as a host of a banquet. 
as someone who invites us to this banquet table and invites us in and prepares this meal for us and honors us with this meal, anoints our head. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, there's this image, even in the Psalms, in the Old Testament, that once we trust God's leadership in life, we will arrive at this heavenly banquet. We will arrive at this place of abundance and never-ending pasture Jesus actually said what in the New Testament in John? He said, I will go ahead of you and I will go to prepare a place for you, a table for you, a place for you to come in and be with me. And that's the same imagery that we see here in the psalm, that there is this everlasting life. There is this place where we're with God forever and ever and ever. And it's we're, we're at the banquet with God. We're being hosted by God. And you better believe that's a good place to be. And so basically what we're doing ultimately throughout our whole lives when we say that the Lord is my shepherd, we're trusting that God is going to lead us through this entire life to arrive home with God at the table with everybody else. That's what we're trusting. That no matter what happens on that journey, no matter how rough the terrain gets, if we keep trusting in the shepherd the whole way, we will arrive at God's house and God will take us in because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the image here. We're trusting that. So here's the choice we have. What was the question I, we started asking ourselves this morning? Is the Lord our shepherd? Who's your shepherd? Are you being your own shepherd? <laughs> or is God your shepherd? There's a great book out written by Philip Keller, who is a shepherd himself, and he wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. He said this, basically it amounts to this, a person exchanges the fickle fortunes of living life by sheer whimsy for the productive and satisfying adventure of being guided by God. Which one is defining your life today? The whimsy or the adventure with the shepherd? I like being on an adventure with the shepherd. You know, one of the other things that shepherds would have to do when they got their herd of sheep is they would have to mark the ear of each sheep. Sometime the old school shepherds would actually take a knife and mark the ear in some way to identify that that sheep belongs to me. That one's mine. So that even when shepherds brought their herds together, they could distinguish which ones belonged to them or not. Do you belong to the good shepherd? Is your life marked by evidence that, the good sh that, the, that God is your shepherd? Would people know that you belong to the good shepherd? Maybe it's time to surrender self-leadership to the Lord's leadership. Let's pray together.